do that now also. Um, we appreciate everybody that has been uh, contributing to the, um, whether it be the missions collection or the uh, Thanksgiving baskets. Next Sunday, uh, we'll uh, be letting you know uh, it was brought to our attention that we'd never actually announced how much money we raised from Walk for Water. Okay? Um, it was a lot. Okay? And we'll tell you about that next week. We'll also tell you about our missions collection. And uh, so that means you can continue to give until 12 o'clock today um, to the missions collection. And we'll also uh, fill you in on that next week. But we appreciate uh, just everybody's generosity. We, we recognize there are so many needs and um, in, in our community, in our, in our church, in the mission, in the kingdom of Christ. And, and so um, it can be overwhelming at times, but we appreciate everybody doing what you can to uh, serve God in, uh, with our finances. So we are moving through uh, Galatians, and we've made it to chapter 3. Again, um, there's a, a lot to cover, and so I'm using our growth groups to cover some of the material that uh, I don't have time for right now. Uh, so usually in our growth groups, it's like, um, hopefully, whatever I preach on, we talk about further in the, uh, in the growth group. Uh, but at the moment, we're doing half a chapter in the growth group and half a chapter here in, on Sunday morning. So if you want the whole chapter, you've got to be here on Sunday morning and in a growth group. Um, so otherwise, you're just getting half the truth, and uh, I'd hate for you to, to miss out. All right, uh, so... The first half of the chapter, in fact, what was read to us this morning, is what's going to be our, our topic, our growth group topic. And so we're going to pick up in the, the second half, really beginning in verse uh, 15 uh, and following. But one of the interesting things that happens in the, in the book of Galatians is that the letter often seems to point to the limitations of the Old Testament. Okay? And so we'll see a lot of references to what the law couldn't do. And, and so, in, in fact, down in verse 19, I think Paul understands what it is that he's saying, and he asks this question, why then was the law given at all? Okay? And so he's, he's like telling people that of what its limitations were, and it's like, well, what was the point of it? Well, Paul doesn't say that it's worthless. Right? He doesn't say it was a waste of time. He doesn't say it's a waste of time for the Christians. In fact, what is really interesting is that as he's writing to these churches and he's telling them about uh, the freedom that comes in Christ, about the importance of faith um, and the limitations of the, the law, he is constantly referring back to the law, right? To the Old Testament. And so one of the things we've talked about over the, 
the last few weeks is that when we see the word law, it can mean several things, right? It can mean the whole Old Testament. It can mean you know, the, maybe the first five books, the, the Torah. Or it could just mean like something even smaller. One of the things I believe in this circumstance that it means primarily is what is it that makes a Jew a Jew? What is it that makes a Jew a Jew? And, and the answer to that would be, well, you worship Yahweh. You're descended from Abraham. You, your, your male children are circumcised. You don't eat unclean foods. Primarily pork would be the, the most obvious one. Shellfish. And uh, you observe the Sabbath. Okay, so there are a few of these, these things that mark a Jew as being a Jew. If you don't do those things, then they'll say, well, maybe you're a descendant of Abraham, but you're not living like a Jew. You know, you're not circumcised, you don't care about foods. Like, you're a Greek in the way that you're living. You're a Roman. You're a, you're a pagan because the Sabbath isn't important to you, because these different things. So the question, and, and this is, we get that definition because we have to keep in mind what the question in Galatians is. The question is, what is required for me to be a disciple of Jesus? Do I need to have, be part of, the, of Israel? Okay, the question isn't, do I have to give sacrifices at the temple in order for my sins to be forgiven? The question isn't, do I have to work really hard and do lots of really good things in order to be saved and live a perfect life in order to, to be saved? The question is, do I have to be part of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, in order to be a follower of Jesus? Okay, so when we see law, we have to have a very sort of, perhaps a different definition of it than we're used to. Okay? We're talking about what makes a person a Jew. So um, I said that Paul is constantly quoting from the Old Testament. In, in chapter 3 of Galatians here, we're going to see that it gives a lot of attention to uh, Abraham. If you just read through the chapter, Abraham gets mentioned a lot. Um, and then, but I can tell you, he also quotes from Genesis chapter 15. He quotes from Genesis chapter 12. Both of those are about Abraham. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 27. He quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, Leviticus chapter 18, and Deuteronomy chapter 21. All in that one chapter, Galatians 3. And you go, wow, is there any room left for Paul to actually say anything himself? Right? And so we, he, he values the Old Testament and the lessons and the teaching that is contained there. Clearly, he isn't doing away with the Old Testament. In reality, the letter argues not about the adequacy of the law, but about the need for both Jews and non-Jews to place their faith in Jesus alone. And so chapter 3 has several interesting sections. And we'll discuss, as I said, the first part in growth groups and uh, pick up in chapter 15 now.
We'll just start reading here. We'll, I can read this, I think. In chapter 3 and verse 15, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people or groups of people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Okay, so this is a complicated passage of Scripture. Right? I, um, there's a lot to, to unpack. And so actually today I'm, I'm really just skimming, skimming over it and trying to just pick a couple of, of points out that I think are helpful for us. And so the, the first thing we see here is that God made a covenant with Abraham. The gap between Abraham and um, Moses, right? Because usually when we think of the law, we think of Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston coming down. Um, and so we, you know, that's our picture of, of the law. <coughs> and, uh, but, there, or the covenant that God made with his people Israel. But there was a previous covenant that was made with Abraham. Okay? And it's not quite as dramatic it wouldn't make a movie that was quite as, as exciting as, as the Moses and the, the Ten Commandments. And we'll get to the details of that in just a moment. But what, what we want to notice is that the covenant that he made with Abraham didn't become void because he made another covenant with the nation of Israel. Okay? So... It was rather that they built on top of each other rather than that the second one replaced the earlier one. And that's going to be important. Because in his, let's look at this. This is the covenant that he, he makes with Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless you and whoever, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Right, so up until that last line there, you're going, oh, this is pretty good for Abraham, right? He's going to be great. <laughs> uh, you know, people are going to bless him and you know, to be blessed. If anyone's mean to him, God's going to be mean back to them. Like Abraham has just got it all happening, right? This is the way we would like life to be. And then we get to the end and it says, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All of a sudden, it's not about Abraham anymore. Now it's about, it's not even about his descendants, is it? It's about all the people on earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. And this is the covenant that is made. Now, roll forward 400, 430 years, and now we're at Sinai. 
We have a very different covenant here. Because now it's God saying to a specific group of people, yes, they're descendants of Abraham, but he says to them, I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. But in order for that to happen, I've brought you out of Egypt, I've got everything ready. Here are the guidelines that you need to keep. Here's, the, here's what it means to be my people, for me to be your God. And he, he gives them what we think of as the law, right? He gives them the Ten Commandments. And they specifically respond, yes, everything you say we will do. And they get the blood of a lamb and Aaron shakes it out over the people and, and it is sealed with blood. Now what happens to the people that were not there? What happens to the people that were not sealed with blood? What happens to the people who are out? weren't in Sinai, which is most of the world, right? They didn't participate in that covenant. It's a very narrow covenant when God says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. This is between God and Israel. And so God is going to work through Israel. Now we could keep going and we get down and we see how God intends for Israel to be a light to the nations. But It's different. Whereas to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you individually, your descendants, and the whole world. When he says to Israel at Sinai, he says, no, you, this is my relationship with you. And so it is not, that's why it's important. It's not that Sinai replaces what he says to Abraham. Sinai builds on that. Okay, this is what it means for Abraham's descendants to have relationship with God. But it doesn't mean that the promise that through these people, through Abraham and his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. It doesn't mean that that's been done away with. That responsibility, that obligation, that promise is still in place. Now, Roll forward, you know, a couple of thousand years, and this becomes really important to Christians in the church in Galatia, doesn't it? Right? Because now he says to them, hey, you Jewish Christians there in, in Galatia or in Jerusalem or in Antioch, wherever, wherever you are, uh, I want you... You know the law, you've been keeping the law, you value the law that Moses received from God. But I want you to remember that through you, all the nations on earth are going to be blessed. It doesn't say that through you, everyone's going to become Jewish. It says that through you, God is going to bless all those people. And that promise is still active. God's plan since Eden has always been global. And so the covenant that God made with Israel wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a plan that didn't work. His covenant with Abraham makes that clear, that God has always been at work to defeat sin for everyone, not just for Israel. Israel was to be God's tool in taking his good news to the world. And so when Paul now talks about this idea of inheritance in Galatians 3, he's saying that 
Gentiles can receive the inheritance from Abraham. Right? And now, I know that it's possible for, you know, you could put whoever you want in your will. Okay? You could pick a neighbor three houses down and you just say, I want all my money to go to them. I don't know why you would, but you could. It, it, it's not absolute, there's no law that says it has to go to your children. But in their culture, um, and, and really mostly in ours too, but in their culture it was, you know, the only thing they thought of is that it goes to the children. That was just how it worked. Think of Jacob and Esau and the blessings and the disputes over what they got when their father uh, passed away. And so, in, in the, the Jewish mind, the people who get the inheritance are those that are descended from Abraham. Right? You want the promise that was given to Abraham? Then be a descendant of Abraham. You want the gold that Abraham had? Be a descendant of Abraham. You want the sheep and the camels and whatever else it was that Abraham had, the land that Abraham had? Be a descendant of Abraham. But Paul is now writing, and he says, no, like there are other people who can get an inheritance from Abraham. Gentile Christians can receive the same blessings as the Jewish Christians. Because notice what it says at the end there, right? The promise, right, that God gives is not just to the descendants of Abraham. It's to all the peoples on earth will receive a blessing. Abraham, and, and so to this disputing, these groups of people that are in dispute, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and uh, trying to work out how they're to get along. Paul makes this point. He says, Abraham only has one seed, one family, okay? Abraham only has one family. This is, I think, in um, chapter 15 of, of Genesis, so it's not on the screen. But, but Abraham only has one family. He doesn't have a Jewish family and a Gentile family. I don't know, some of you are thinking, what about, Is uh, what about uh, Ishmael and all that? But we're talking about within, the, within God's people, right? He doesn't, now that we've reached Jesus... He hasn't suddenly got a Gentile family of Abraham and a Jewish family of Abraham. There is only one. Just as there is only one Messiah, right? There is no Jewish Messiah and a Gentile Messiah. And, and I think we could say there is no white Messiah and a black Messiah. There is no Chinese Messiah and a Hispanic Messiah. There is one Messiah. There is one family. And, and so that it, we, we're the ones that find reasons to separate and segregate ourselves. But there is only one family descended from, one family descended from Abraham and one Messiah. And so a, an implication of this for us is the responsibility that we have, right? Because now... We say, oh, that's great. Look, we're blessed because we're all the peoples on earth. We've been sort of plugged in 
to become part of Abraham's family. Right? Jesus has made this possible. And, and so we get this blessing. And, and so it's easy perhaps for us to sit back and go, yeah, I'm, I'm part of God's people. But there's also an obligation. You see, when we want to wag our finger at, at Israel and we say, oh, those Israelites, they just didn't understand the role they had in God's mission, that they were to be a light to the world, a city set on a hill, that they were to, to bless all the people on earth, that God was using them as a tool to take his good news of, of forgiveness, to take his good news of adoption to everyone around the world. And they just kept it to themselves. Those terrible people, right? They just didn't understand what was going on at all. And, and yet, as we're sitting here and wagging our fingers at them, it's real easy for us to, to not be engaged in that same mission ourselves. To sit here and be thankful, right? And grateful and to sing praises to God for all that he's done for us without feeling an urgency to do anything to bless all the peoples on earth. It's one of the reasons our Mission Sunday is so important, right? Because it's one way that we get to contribute to taking or blessing all the peoples on earth. That God blesses them through us. It's not us really blessing them. The second aspect of this focus of inheritance is that it betrays not just the benefits that we receive from being part of Abraham. Okay, And that's really what the part of the first, first chapter is that the Gentiles are able to become parts of Abraham. Uh, and the div, of course, it's not just that the Gentiles make a move to become descendants of Abraham, but the Jews, the you know, biological descendants of Abraham, have to make a move towards the Gentiles by becoming Christians, right? Their hope has to be placed in Christ, in the Messiah, not in their lineage to Abraham. So, so there's sort of a meeting in the middle here of these two things, these two groups. But So rather than just, just looking at the blessing, rather than just saying all people will be blessed, rather than just saying, oh yeah, look, now everybody's able to get salvation. And so we can look at, everybody's able to look forward to eternity with God. Everybody's able to experience the Spirit, God's Spirit in our lives. Like this is available to everyone. And so we can say that's the point, that's the purpose of this passage. The inheritance language means something more, though. Right? You see, I think that would be the message if we said, God has set up a, 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 a Walmart, okay? And the only thing on the shelf is forgiveness, okay? And it's open to everyone. There is no segregation. Come in and get your forgiveness from God's great Walmart, Okay? But he doesn't word it like that. What he says is you get an inheritance. You get access to an inheritance. Now to get access to an inheritance, particularly in their culture, there's a relationship between the one who is giving the inheritance and the one who is receiving it. And so this description 
of how Jews and Gentile Christians are connected to God. It's not simply saying, oh yeah, Gentiles get to receive the blessings that God is giving the Jews. There is a relational aspect to this that God is going to give of his inheritance to the Gentile Christians, followers of Jesus, just as he'll give it to the Jewish followers of, of, of Jesus. So he takes away the dispute between Jacob and Esau. He takes away the fighting over who's the eldest, you know, the, the sibling rivalry between Cain and Abel, like all of that is gone because he says, no, you're all my children. You see, he doesn't just expand who gets the inheritance. He expands who are his children. And so in verse 26, we read this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other places, we, we, we're here, uh, we read about uh, Christians being adopted into God's family. And really, even that's what the Jews were, right? Abraham, in a sense, was adopted into God's family. Unlike Jesus, he wasn't um, God's biological son, right? So, so, in a sense, everyone's been adopted in God's family. But that's what we see here in Christ Jesus, Jew or Gentile, you are all children of God through faith. Jews, you're not children of God because you're Jews. Gentiles, you're not children of God because, you know, you become Jews. You're all children of God through faith, through faith in Jesus. He, he explains, what does that faith look like? That faith looks like all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, have put yourself uh, in Christ. You have covered yourself with Christ. You have immersed yourself in Christ. And so you are now children of God. I think that relationship is very important here. That, that the promise, that the blessing is not just sort of a legal forgiveness that God doesn't see our sins anymore. The blessing is that we who are far away are now children of God. To this point, the letter has been emphasizing how God's family is able to be universal, right? How does this happen? How does this work? And Paul is explaining to Jewish Christians how they can be in a church that contains Gentiles. And the answer to all this is that we are in Christ. But one of the things I find really interesting, that was the answer in chapter 2. In, in chapter 3, Paul adds another string to this bow, to this argument. He says, we have all 
received the same Spirit. Okay? In chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law, by believing what you heard? Okay? So, even if you were a Jew, you didn't receive the Spirit until you placed your faith in Christ, until you are baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit wasn't given through law. The Holy Spirit is given through faith and relationship with Jesus. And so the role of the Spirit is we, that the Spirit seals us and connects us and joins us and gives evidence of our relationship with God. And so we are united, whether we're at whatever our background, whatever our culture, we're united because we're in Christ, but also because we have the Spirit in us. And now he takes it a step further in verse 28. He says, what does this now look like, right? Everybody, he says, Jew, Gentile, everybody is together. There should be one church and uh, focused on what Christ has done for us. And then he says, there is ne- in this church, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're all children of God. Wherever we come from. We're all children of God. I'm the eldest in my family. That makes me the most responsible of the seven children. Makes me, you know, the the trailblazer. It makes me special. The youngest in the family gets treated special. But that's only to make up for him not being special. If you're the eldest, you know what I mean. You are your parents' pride and joy, the apple of their eye. You can do no wrong in their sight until you do. In the family of God, there are no eldest children. Right? It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free. It doesn't matter if you're blue collar or white collar. It doesn't matter if you're a mechanic or, 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 or a ditch digger or a, whatever it is or a PhD. It doesn't matter. We are all children of God within the family of God. And so I hope the idea of us being a child of God is comforting to us. That God loves us. God accepts us. God is gracious to us. He forgives us. God wants us to be with Him. God doesn't discriminate against us. We're His children. And all of these things are true. For Paul's Jewish readers, in addition to that sort of sentiment and the comfort that we can get from from those thoughts, they may well have connected Paul's description with some passages in the Hebrew Bible. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 
23. God instructs Moses, and he says this to, he says, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to tell to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. You see, Israel was special. Out of all the nations on the earth, all the people on the earth, in a sense, all of the children of God, Israel was special. They were his firstborn son. And so he says to Pharaoh, he says, you and let my son go out, leave Egypt and worship me. Pharaoh sort of laughs in his face because he knows that the Egyptians are the firstborn son of the gods. But it's interesting to see that language, right? Israel, as a nation, was God's son, was God's child. If Israel is God's firstborn son, it follows that the other nations are not. Right? And Israel thought they were pretty special. Quite right, they were. They got the prophets from God, they got the blessings of God, they got the guidance of God. Think of all that God did to bring them out of Egypt. They were special. But now, in Jesus, they're being told that anybody can become a firstborn son of God. All right? I think how, how, how disconcerting that must have been. The people have to um, rethink, you know, reimagine the world as they know it. It's a little bit like those state farm commercials, you know, where... Patrick Mahomes or whoever they are, they say, yeah, I get this special personal rate. And Jake from State Farm is saying, no, that's available to everyone. And they're like, no, I'm Patrick Mahomes. I'm Travis Kelsey. I'm Andy Reid. Like, this is my special rate. And, and that change of them just accepting that their rate is available to everyone in the ads is like, I can't believe that. How is that possible? Well, this is what's going on here, that Israel says, this is our special relationship with God. We're God's firstborn son. And then Jesus comes along and says, everyone can be children of God. And so that's a big change in the way that we see the world. We become part of Israel through faith, we become part of the Messiah through faith at baptism. And just at Jesus' baptism, God declared to Jesus, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God makes a similar declaration at our baptism. You are my child. I've made a place for you in my family. I want to make one last observation as we think about this. It's interesting to compare Galatians 3 and verse 27 with the words that the prophet Joel quoted at the day of Pentecost, quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You see, Paul in Galatians says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, and in Joel says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Paul says, there is neither male nor female. And Joel says, sons and daughters will prophesy. Paul says, there is neither slave nor free. And Joel says, even on my servants, those who are servants, I will pour out my spirits. And Joel has the additional one there of saying, young and old will see visions. This is God's vision of the church, that it's an inclusive community. So whether in Galatians or other parts of Scripture, we find this consistent message. Regardless of our place in life, there's a place for us in God's family. We can all be baptized into Jesus the Messiah. God will give his gift of his Holy Spirit to all of us. And there's work for all of us to do because we're all heirs of the promises that God gave Abraham. That last line, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. We are all able to be blessed by God. God wants to bless us. The, the proviso there is if you belong to Christ. Okay. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, all of you who clothed yourself, who, who dedicated yourself, who uh, committed to being part of Christ. For those people who've made, taken that step, then you're part of God's family, the descendants of Abraham. And you receive, we receive the, the inheritance, the blessings, the relationships that come with that. So I want to encourage you today that if, if baptism hasn't been something you've thought about, if, if making a decision to change your life in a way that says, yes, I'm following Jesus, if that hasn't been a, a thought or a something you've considered, then don't leave here today without taking that opportunity of talking to me, talking to someone else uh, that you trust. It's not a, a simple decision. Uh, I know some of, some of you perhaps wonder why we, I don't have an invitation every Sunday. And, and I'll tell you, part of the reason is that just every sermon doesn't reach that point. But the other is that I think it's a, it's a big decision. I don't know if it's a decision that you can make you know, in the 30 seconds between now and when the song we start to sing a song. I want to have you to have the conversations. I want you to think about it deeply, to, to count the cost, as Jesus says. But also to count the blessings of being part of God's family and having God as your Father. I and many people here today will say it's worth everything that it takes to make that happen.
Take the communion this morning. Yeah.